You are listening to The 1% Christian, the daily Bible study where we get together for 1% of our day, we study God's Word, and then we head out to the remaining 99% to do something amazing with this life that God's given us. I'm Pastor J.D. Ambrosio with Sound of Heaven Church in Deer Park, New York. I invite you to check us out at soh.church, and while you're there, download our free mobile app. We've got a digital Bible on there. We've got all of our teachings and an awesome online community that you can be a part of. And if you're listening anywhere where you get your podcasts, like, share, subscribe, turn on your notifications. Definitely don't want you to miss anything as we continue through the Gospel of Matthew. And we are in Matthew chapter 18. And this is a chapter that started off with the disciples asking a very interesting question. They asked Jesus, who is the greatest in the kingdom of God? And that's our human nature, right? Often we want to find out who's the best in the room, and they're no different, right? And, uh, of course, they're believing and hoping that it's them. We see that in other parts of Scripture where they're actually bickering amongst themselves around the same question. And every time they do, Jesus has to put their expectations in the proper perspective because Jesus didn't come to play favorites. He didn't come to elevate certain people over other people. He came to save everybody. And they ask him, who's the greatest in the kingdom, and what do they do? They, he, Jesus invites a child over. And whether the child is standing next to Jesus, I, I like to believe that they're standing in front of them, uh, in front of Jesus, and Jesus takes a child and stands, puts him right with them. And he basically says, look, if you want to be the greatest in the kingdom— you must be like this child. And we covered some of the characteristics of a child, right? A child is inquisitive, always willing to learn. A child is a symbol of innocence and purity. A child believes in the impossible. Not naive in a sense. Well, although children can be naive, but they believe in the possibility of the impossible. And if we're going to pursue God, with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind, we have to realize that he is outside of this natural world, outside of time, space, matter, and that if we want to see the miraculous in our life, that he's the one that's going to do it, right? You can't overcome natural with natural. You overcome natural with the supernatural. And then yesterday we studied Jesus' next lesson in this conversation And it's not being a stumbling block. He basically says, woe to anyone that is a stumbling block to my little ones, to my children. And what is a stumbling block? It's something that is in your path that is meant to trip you up. And basically what we talked about yesterday is don't be a stumbling block. (laughs) Don't be one that trips up other people. To remove stumbling blocks from other people's path, but also to remove stumbling blocks from our own path at all costs, right? Jesus uses the example of if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off, right? Say, I don't want to do that. Well, guess what? Jesus doesn't want you to do that either. He made a way for us. (laughs) We don't have to cut our hands off, okay? We can rely on him. We can change direction of our lives. But the moral of that is, is that if there's something that is causing you to stumble, that it's worth the sacrifice at any level to remove it from your life so that you can live out the life that God called you to live out. 
Don't sacrifice your spiritual life for physical things. Confront the stumbling blocks in your life and move them. And remember, faith the size of a mustard seed can move a mountain. So you can remove a stone, a stumbling block from your path. You have the power to do that. No need to remove your hand or remove your eye. God made a way. He put his spirit inside of you. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells inside of me and you. So we lack nothing. And Jesus continues with this teaching. And he expresses to them, he's saying, don't despise. We're going to be in Matthew 18, 10 through 14 for the rest of our time here. He says, see that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my father in heaven. This is where we get the concept of the guardian angel. And verse 11 says, For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. And we realize, because we're watching the, the disciples, that they really enjoyed walking around with Jesus, being a part of Jesus' entourage. But they would often get annoyed with people that would approach, that would call out, that would cry out to Jesus. And Jesus is trying to shift their mindset. He's teaching them to love others the way he loves them. To love others the way we want him to love us, which he does. Or what the golden rule, to love others as and treat others as you would have them do unto you. He's teaching them a higher existence that is beyond, am I greater than that person? Am I better than this person? We get so caught up in that. We waste a lot of time worrying what our standing is with other people. When we realize that the greatest in the kingdom are those that are willing to serve. And Jesus is teaching them to love and care as he does. Because it's very easy for us to, you know, discount those that are outside of the four walls of the church. That's been a problem for a very, very long time. We're more concerned about who is in the church, who is coming to church, than who the church is going to. Because the church, the word church is the Greek word ekklesia, which means called out assembly of people. What are we called out for? What are we set apart for? We'll get to that a little bit here in a second. But I want to go to a parable, starting with verse 12. It's one that we're very familiar with. It's the one about leaving the 99 and going for the one. Let's read it. He says, what do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go look for the one that wandered off? And if it turns out that he finds it, truly, I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 which have not gone astray. Thus, it is the will of the Father 
of your Father who is in heaven, that one of these little ones not perish. Thus it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones perish. Jesus is pointing out a very, very important fact here, one that we can all take comfort in. God doesn't want anyone to perish. And that's a good thing. Because both you and I are in that anyone. And sometimes we can stray from God and feel like God is mad at us, that God doesn't want us anymore. And it's simply not true. It says that when the shepherd finds the one who had strayed, that he is very happy. Now, interestingly enough, it says he's happier than the 99, okay? What we have to realize through the parables, especially when we're talking about parables of the kingdom of God, we are describing the kingdom of God, and Jesus is breaking these things down into stories, using examples so that it makes sense. But we have to understand that we are trying to describe the perfect with imperfect examples. So the parables are going to require us to look a little bit deeper and to have some imagination, right? So when we hear that Jesus is happier, that God is happier for those, he is ecstatic when somebody turns back. But in a sense, we have to be real God knows your decisions before you make them. You may feel like you're lost, but God knows exactly where you are. God loves you right where you are. And if you're listening to this and you feel like you've gone astray and you feel like you've, you've wandered off, it should be very, very reassuring, exciting, and comforting that God is pursuing you but he's not on some far-off hill saying, where are you, son? Where are you, daughter? He knows exactly where you are. But the imagery here is that God will pursue you no matter what. And we love being the one. We love the concept of the one because we're all there. We all remember a time where we were lost and then ultimately we came back into a realization maybe for the first time or maybe like many of us, multiple times, you realize you have this encounter. That's what we call at the end of service, right? You want to rededicate your life, turn back, repent. We love that concept of being found once we're lost. But we've got to be careful not to love it so much that we continuously stray. I've often seen, and often and I've, and different points in my walk too, you get into a cycle of redemption and destruction, right? You make things are going good, and then you, you, you kind of, whether directly or indirectly, sabotage, and God comes back and rescues you again. He'll do this over and over and over and over again. But God doesn't want you in that continuous cycle. Once you're found, he wants you to <laughs> now accept your place in the flock. And what does that mean? We'll get to that in a second. But I don't want to gloss over the fact that if you feel like you're lost today, 
you're not lost to the point where God doesn't know where you are. He knows exactly where you are. And I always like to imagine the shepherd approaching the sheep. Now, if the sheep keeps running away, you know, it's not good for the sheep. Ultimately, the sheep has to say, yeah, I'm coming to you. I hear your voice, Lord. So if that's you today, stop running. Stop straying. You don't have to wait for him to find you. He already found you. He knows where you are. Just follow him back. (laughs) Follow him back. He will save you every time. But he wants you to get out of the cycle of of falling down and getting back up and falling down again. And you will do this over and over again. Don't get me wrong. You're going to make mistakes every single day. But let this be a year where you start taking giant leaps forward, where maybe God, in a hyperbolic way, doesn't have to go so far to find you. Right? I'm 19 years with the Lord now in this capacity and learning every day. And man, do I make mistakes every single day. I do. I promise you. But my goal is to maybe lessen the mistakes that I make, to maybe get a little bit more wisdom, maybe be a little bit more faithful with each and every day that passes and be a little bit better than I am yesterday. So God doesn't have to, quote, go so far to find me as if he's not already omnipresent. So let's turn our sights back on the hill for our last few minutes here of the 1%. Let's take the focus off the 1% and put it on the 99. Kind of goes very well with our study here, doesn't it? And this is another way that we can look at it and say, well, you know, a parable can only go so far because it says that the good shepherd, when he's searching for for the one, he leaves the 99 on the hill. Now, does God really leave the 99 alone? No. Okay, the parable has a human shepherd, and humans can't be in all places at all times, but we're really talking about God. So the 99 on the hill are not without God. They're safe there. Otherwise, the shepherd would never have left them. And often we envision ourselves as the one, but do we envision ourselves as the 99? And that's kind of where I want to focus here for the next few minutes. What does it mean to be the 99? Because we're also, although related to sheep in the sense that he is our shepherd and we follow him and we know his voice, we are also not meant to just kind of sit around and chew our cud and graze off of the field. We're also created in the image of God. So I want us to really reflect on what it means to be the 99 because he's just as much with those on the hill than he is out in the wilderness looking for the one. So what role do you have to play in the? Be comfortable in the 99. Be comfortable in his presence. Be comfortable being in the flock. But when you realize that you're in the flock, Realize that you, too, have a role to play. That in some ways the parable doesn't fully depict your role. And we have a a world where the church, honestly, is getting way too comfortable in the church pews, way too comfortable on the field, 
And keep in mind, this entire chapter is Jesus really listening to a somewhat silly question, but addressing it and really correcting them to understand what it means to not despise the one, to not despise other people, but to love as God loves. And that's the role of the 99. Because when you're part of the 99, you know you're his. And when you know that you're his, now you can get to work. Now you can make an impact around you. Doesn't mean you have to be a pastor. Doesn't mean you have to preach on Sunday. That's not what I'm saying. But you could be his everywhere that you go. And the beauty of this parable is that the character of God is that he deeply loves all of us at the individual level. He loves every one of the 99 individually. He loves the one that wandered off individually and all the same. But that's how I want to close on the 99. For those of us that are on the hill and are comfortable, what are we going to do in this next year to be somewhat uncomfortable, to make sure that there are others that don't stray? Right? In the visual here in the parable, it's not like the sheep wasn't at some point in the flock and, and going off. But a lot of times we see people stray and we make it of no consequence. Say, that's ah, just one. Or how dumb are they to go? Well, could be you or me next. So let's love each other within the flock and be willing to, to be equally as happy, equally as involved. Because just like in this parable, Jesus is the shepherd, we are the sheep. Ultimately, we are all created in his image. We are the body of Christ, if you want to get another visual. We are his hands. We are his feet. We are his mouthpiece here on earth. So it's just as much him working through us to pursue the one as it's even more so than just us sitting on a hill and letting Jesus go out and get all this. You know how Jesus goes out and gets the one through us, through me, through you. So that's my prayer for us, that as we go into this next year, that, hey, if you're the one, no Jesus is reaching out to you. And you don't have to wait for him to find you. This isn't a rescue mission where you're waiting for the helicopter to fly over. He's right there right now. You can just say, Jesus, help me. And he will help you. He will rescue you right where you are. But if you are part of the comfortable 99, and you're his, and you are in the refuge and the safety of the Almighty, know that it's a good place to be, but you have a role to play in this earth as well. And that's what I want to do in future shows. I don't know how we're going to go about it, but I want to bring people on in the concept of the 99. What are we, the 99, going to do to make sure that God's flock is thriving here on planet Earth, is blessing others? Because again, the characteristic of God that Jesus is portraying here is that he loves everyone. And he loves everyone at the individual level. And that should comfort you and I. Because we're not just a number to God. He wants a personal 
relationship with you and I. And that's something to celebrate with you and I and also with everyone that you meet, everyone that you pass today. Think about that. Sometimes I walk through the supermarket and I just see people and I'm like, wow, I don't know where that person's at, but I know God loves them. If we would just take a moment to pause to see people in that way, I think that we would have more grace. I think that we would be more impactful. We want so much to sometimes change the big, broad things of this world that we forget about the individual, right? What are you going to do for the, you know, we could cure, you know, we could cure cancer. And and look, I've, I've had family members that have been, had their had hands laid on and prayed over and been cured. But what are you doing for the individual person who's struggling right now? We can stop hunger and homelessness. Yes, we can collectively. But what about when you pass the person, that individual on the street that's hungry today? That young girl that's battling with the concept of whether or not she should get an abortion. And we could, we have, you know, I have strong feelings, very strong about abortion. If I can snap my fingers and, and it not need to happen and not happen, I would do it. But we could be so much more effective by putting our hands around a young woman and saying, hey, I'm here for you. Here are your options. I'm going to love you no matter what. That's the beauty of the Father, that he loves us regardless and all sin and fall short of the glory of God. And that includes you and me. So as the 99, we have a responsibility to pursue and love and embrace the one. Because you never know when you're going to be part of that one that needs to be rescued as well. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, in the mighty name of Jesus, we thank you that you love each and every one of us as an individual that we're not just a number for you. Father, help us to not look at this world as just a number, just a number of people, but to be able to see the individual beauty in every single person, that that person is someone that you love deeply. Help us to share that love and share that desire that not one would be lost that you don't want anyone to perish. And we take great comfort in that, Lord, because we know we're included in that. But help us to be more like you and include others in that. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. I'm Pastor J.D. Ambrosio with Sound of Heaven Church in Deer Park, New York. Check us out at soh.church. We are going to continue through Matthew chapter 18 tomorrow. Remember, you're listening to the 1% Christian. 100 starts with one. I love you guys, and I will see you tomorrow.